There's a well-known story that goes around, or that at least went around, law schools at one time. It's a story that probably most law schools have in their history and have told at some point. And the story goes like this. Back in the old days, the dean of the law school, the number one professor, the number one head, the leader of the law school, would uh, uh, address all the incoming students, the first-year law students. And he would say to them something like this. Look to your left. He'd tell them, look to your left. And look to your right. Because at the end of the year, only one of you will be here. Now, sometimes the little watered-down version says, one of you won't be here. But whatever, whatever you take it as, that old story suggesting this is going to be really hard. Law school is going to be very challenging. And in fact, it's going to be too hard for some of you that some of you are just going to leave. You are going to wash out was a warning that people needed to hear. Now, when we come to the Christian faith, I want to give you a sobering message this morning. I want you to remember that if you were to look to your left and to look to your right, there have been people sitting exactly where you are today who no longer are in the Christian faith. Some of you young people who rode the bus this morning, you got on a blue bus, you came to church. I have seen over my years as a pastor and, and, and otherwise many people who sat in the same spot that you are sitting right now. And guess what? They don't follow Jesus. They went away. There are adults, you where you are sitting here today, thank you, Ben, that there are adults that were sitting here today that over the years have left, never to return, not just to this church, I mean to the Christian faith. They didn't come back. And this is not just an issue that relates to modern Christianity. Friends, we need to recognize the challenges, the waters that we are swimming against it is studies have been done that suggest that between 18 and 22 years old, about two-thirds of Christian evangelical young people stop going to church. Two-thirds. Two-thirds. And in fact, up to half of them, or a slightly under half of them, according to one study, don't come back. Don't come back to the faith. Don't come back to church. Now, is this just a modern phenomenon? The answer is no. Because the greatest teacher who ever lived, a man named Jesus, a man who could do miracles like turning five loaves and two pieces of fish into enough food for feeding 5,000 people, he could do that. Now, I just want you to imagine for context, if this place were jam-packed this morning, no social distancing whatsoever, jam-packed, do you know how many people would be here? About 500. Now I want you to imagine that there were 10 times that. 10 times the amount of people in this packed building today. And Jesus took five loaves of bread and two pieces of fish and fed every single one of us until we were full. You'd say, I'd follow that person. If I saw someone do that, I'd follow them. Well, we read in John 6 that that's exactly what Jesus did. 
And then Jesus starts speaking to them, not just showing them his works, but giving them his words, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to follow Jesus. And do you know what chapter six tells us? We read in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They saw him turn that small amount of food into enough for 5,000 people, and yet they said, we're leaving. We're not going to follow him. We're departing from him. Friends, this is not a modern phenomenon. It is an ancient phenomenon. It is a simply human phenomenon. And that's why I want to speak to us this morning on the subject, when disciples depart. When disciples depart. You say, why do you use the word disciples? Because that's what the Bible uses. It said many of his disciples departed from him. You see, I can understand if someone who maybe just comes and visit church once, if they walk away. What about people who come here every Sunday for years? What about people like some of you who have been getting up and riding the blue bus to church since you were kids? You mean you might walk away? Yeah. You adults who were, who were raised in Christian homes, who have been following Christ for years, you could walk away? Yeah. You wouldn't believe in my years as a pastor so far, the kinds of decisions I have seen people make that 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, I would have said, I couldn't even dream they would do that. Why? Because it's a human phenomenon. Sometimes even those who are disciples, we might put that in quotes, depart. It's a sobering word for all of us. And I think Jesus intends it to be sobering. We need to look, first of all, at the possibility of departing. The possibility that some of you might walk away from the Christian faith. What do we see from these people in John 6 that tells us about this possibility? If you have your Bibles, I just encourage you to have them open to John 6. If that means you have a Bible app on your phone, I want you to see these words together. Let's look at these people and try to understand what led them to depart. Look back with me first at number at verse 14 here in chapter 6, will you? Verse number 14. Jesus has taken these five loaves and two fish and made them into a meal that could feed 5,000 so much that there were leftovers. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. What were they saying? This is the Messiah. This is the one that all of us should follow. They, they, they profess Jesus. They were saying, we are going to follow him. Not just that, they engaged with Jesus. Look at verse number 24. Jesus has disappeared. He is not in the place where they, they knew where he was. And so when they went to look for him, the Bible tells us they were seeking for Jesus. In verse 24, they were seeking for him. They were looking for him. Isn't that a good sign? Not just when someone professes Jesus and says, Jesus, I believe that, that, that you're the one. Not only that, they actually seek for him. They try to find him. Maybe they come to church. Maybe they open their Bible and read. Maybe they pray. They seek for him. They're looking for him. Not only that. 
They made requests of him. In a sense, they prayed to him. You say, what do you mean? Notice verse 34. Jesus has told them that the bread of God is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus, give us what you have for us. And there are people that come to church and say, Jesus, I'm looking for you. I want you. I'm even praying for some things that I believe that you can give me. They were engaging with him. They were professing with him. They were praying to him. In fact, scripture says they were disciples of his. Disciples simply means they were learners. They were students. They were listening like to a teacher. Teacher, what do you have to say? In fact, scripture says they called him rabbi. That means religious teacher. But here's the scary part. They didn't believe him. Or maybe more accurately, they didn't believe on him. You say, how do you know that? Because Jesus told them. Will you look with me here? Look at verse 61. Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, his disciples, murmured at these words he had given them. He said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if he shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? A literally bodily ascend up to heaven. It is the spirit that quickens, that brings to life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Now listen to verse 64. But there are some of you that what? Read it out loud with me. That believe not. You profess me. You engage with me. You pray to me. You ask for things from me. But you don't believe me. In fact, scripture goes on to say, Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And from that time, those disciples that didn't believe him, what did they do? They departed. They walked away. Friends, you can come to this church. You can sit in these pews. You can say, I believe in Jesus. You can read your Bible. You can listen to the sermon. You can even pray to Jesus. And yet you're not a Christian. You can know all the right words to say and yet actually not be actually trusting in Jesus. You are not born again and one day you will depart. You will walk away. You will abandon the faith. Now, this is why we need to get down to a very important point. Not only the possibility of abandoning Jesus. That's for all of us here today. If any man thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. That's all of us. But not only that, look at secondly at what I'll call the pathology of these people. What is a pathology? Mark knows what a pathology is. A medical doctor does. What is it? It's when we got to figure out what this is. I have had various skin issues removed. When you have melanoma once, they want to check you all the time. I go in and get checked every six months to make sure cancer isn't somewhere on my skin. And do you know what they'll do? They'll carve a mole or something off my skin that looks suspicious and they'll send it out for what? A pathology report. What's going on? Is this cancer or is this not? What is going on with the sickness of these people who wander, who leave, who depart? What's going on inside them? I want to suggest, first of all, their attraction. Their attraction to Jesus. Let's think about these people. You are someone who saw Jesus turn five loaves and two fish into 5,000, food for 5,000 people. What are you thinking? 
That's pretty cool. He's got a lot of power. Normal people can't do this. Do you know what their attraction to him was? Jesus told us. Notice verse 26. Will you go back to verse 26? In verse 25, they say, Rabbi or teacher, when did you come here? When camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me. You're looking for me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now, what is Jesus saying here? You're not seeking me for my sake. You're seeking me for your sake. You're seeking me because your belly is no longer hungry and you want someone who's going to give you food. In fact, Jesus knew this about them. He said to them, or he knew that when they came and they were going to try in verse 15, scripture says Jesus perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king. And he got out of there. He said, you're looking for the wrong thing. I want to simply just make this point. There is a kind of person who follows Jesus solely for superficial reasons. What does it mean to be superficial? I'll tell you, if you've had, ever had melanoma, you're very happy when it's superficial. It only stays on top of the skin. It doesn't go below the skin. It's only what we would say skin deep or surface deep. There are some people who pursue Jesus only for what he can give them right now and in this life. And these people looked at Jesus who could turn five loaves and two fish into food for 5,000 and said, you know, this guy would end world hunger right here. Someone with this kind of power would be a great king. He'd be a great president. Let's make him king. And Jesus is saying to them, you don't understand, do you? You don't understand that I didn't come for superficial responses. I didn't come primarily to make your life better in the here and now. I didn't primarily come to just give you bread. I came for something far deeper. Now, do you know this is true of all of us? What separates you and me from animals? What makes you and me different from animals? Well, you say we can think, yes, but what really fundamentally does? Think about an animal. An animal is going through life simply trying to get by today. Are they, if they're hungry, what does an animal do? They eat. If they have other bodily, physical needs, if they, if they need to sleep, what do they do? They sleep. They are simply living in reaction to their external circumstances, their external stimuli. What about human beings? What makes us separate? A human being has a capacity to interact for something they don't see right now. They are not. God gave us the spiritual capacity to commune with an eternal being and have a relationship with him that no animal can have. Why are you and I made in the image of God? God is a spirit. It's not because you and I have a body. Animals have bodies too. You and I are made in the image of God because we have the ability to commune with God, to know God on a spiritual level like no animal can. And do you know, friends, there are a lot of people walking around the world today no different than animals. 
Their spiritual capacity is dead. You say, a relationship with God, what's that? Is there even a God? And they are simply living only for what they can get in the here and now. Are there pleasures that my body can experience? I'll sign up for those, thank you very much. Is there money that I can have to make my life a little bit easier today and tomorrow and the next day and lay a good foundation for my future? Yes, please. And then you say, what is that doing to your eternal soul? And they look at you like an, with an animal's look. Say, what? I don't even believe there is an eternity. Friends, what about you? Are you living differently than in, in true essence than an animal? Are you recognizing that you have a spiritual element to your being that would allow you to have a relationship with God? What a challenging thing. And notice these people who are only skin deep. Yes, they are pursuing Jesus. Yes, they are following him, but only for what they think he can give them today and right now. What happens to them? Jesus starts speaking. And we need to see, secondly, the offense. The offense for these people. Notice what Jesus says to them. This is not just about what you can receive temporarily and right now. He says in verse 53, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. And immediately people are thinking, what is this, cannibalism? No, Jesus is making clear your connection to me cannot be skin deep. You have to receive me into your being. I must live within you. A deep connection. He said, whoso eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. He said, as the living father has sent me and I live by the father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. And do you know what, the, what those disciples said to him? They said, this is in hard saying, who can hear it? Now I want you to understand what this word hard means. I'm going to say the Greek word to you and you tell me if there's an English word that sounds like it to you, okay? Scleros. Sclerosis. Do you know what they're saying? What is sclerosis medically? You could ask Dr. Mark Holder after this. He'd give you a much better explanation of it than I am. Sclerosis is the abnormal hardening of bodily tissue. Arthrosclerosis is what happens in the blood vessels of your heart when plaque forms and cuts off circulation that can lead to a heart attack that kills you like that. You don't want your bodily tissues to harden and become brittle and inflexible. Do you know what these people were saying to Jesus? Your words are inflexible. They're too stiff. How true is that of us today? How many disciples of Jesus, disciples in quotes, will follow him until his words get a little too inflexible and a little too stiff? They'll say, Jesus, as long as I'm following you, I'm willing to listen. But don't try to tell me that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father by you. Those are too inflexible. I don't like those words. Those are hard. Jesus, don't tell me about the possibility of eternal punishment in hell. Don't talk to me about hell and that people go there. Jesus, those words are too hard. Jesus, don't tell me about the need for moral purity. Don't, don't talk to me about the need to, to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you every single day as your disciple. Those words are too hard. 
Friends, do you know why so often people walk away? It's not because of the works of Jesus or the power of Jesus. That's comfortable to us. Who could be against someone who goes around and heals the sick and raises the dead and stands with the poor? Who could be against that kind of person? Do you know the, who, the, who, the, who people cannot stand? The one who says, you better follow me or you are in danger of eternal damnation. There's a very interesting modern view on this. There's a man named Ibram Kendi. He is perhaps the foremost thinker and writer for what is called the anti-racist cause today. Very well-known writer. He has significant credibility in our society generally. Many people are listening to him. And I thought it was very interesting. I heard him speak of Christianity. And he distinguished between two things. One thing that he called liberation theology and one thing that he called savior theology. And here's what he said. He said, Jesus was a revolutionary and the job of the Christian is to revolutionize society. The job of the Christian is to liberate society from the powers on earth that are oppressing humanity. Now, interestingly, what he said about savior theology, this idea, he, he, as he kind of put it, that, 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 that we're supposed to go out and try to save these bad people, these sinners, he said that breeds bigotry. In fact, this is what he said. He said, to me, anti-racists fundamentally reject savior theology. And I thought, what an interesting thing. Because Ibram Kendi's problem is not truly with theology of Christians. His problem is with the words of Jesus. He is happy to stand on the side of the Jesus who stood by the poor and who stood by those who were being oppressed and who healed the sick and ministered to those who were abandoned. And friend, I want to be clear. You and I as Christians come into that same thing. There is a component of our theology that has to include standing up against injustice in society. In fact, in, in, in fact God says in the Old Testament, Micah 6, what does God require of us? First thing, do justly. Secondly, love mercy. Third, walk humbly with your God. God wants to see the gospel change every part of your life, including the way you respond to those who are oppressed and are hurting. So we can stand on that truth, and yet we can also say, you cannot accept the words of Jesus unless you accept his words to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. You cannot accept the truth of Christianity unless you accept the words that said Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. You cannot accept the cause of Christianity unless you understand his great commission to be to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Friends, the works of Jesus are very attractive to superficial Christians, but what's offensive to them are his words because they just seem too hard. And we can't suggest that this is the only reason why disciples depart from these pews right here, but I will tell you something in my experience and I think the testimony of many is that one of the biggest reasons is because those ones we're not truly committed to the words of Jesus. Who was on the throne of their life themselves? And as long as Jesus allowed them to have a comfortable life now, my family's a Christian, I don't want to rock the boat. My church friends are Christians, I don't want to rock the boat. 
Jesus might help me get a good job. Jesus might be my lucky charm to get good grades in school. Jesus might help me to get what I want in this life. I'll follow him. And then suddenly the words of Jesus cut against the grain of our life and tell us something different. And we say, that's too hard. I'm done. I can find someone else to help me get what I want. Friends, what is that for us? You see, we need to see not only the attraction of these people being superficial and skin deep, not only their, their offense to the words of Jesus, but we need to see their alternatives. They went away because they thought they could find something else that would get them what they wanted. And friends, today, if that's your choice, you're going to find an unlimited number of alternatives how many philosophies are there in this life in order to have a happy life? Do you want to try to be happy? You'll have a million different voices on the internet alone telling you how you can be happy. And you'll say, you know what? Why am I following Jesus? Why am I following this book? There are a lot of other things that'll get me what I want. I think that's a critical reason why disciples depart. And we see it elsewhere too. In John chapter 2, Jesus has just turned water to wine at a wedding, at a celebration. And many people believed on him, scripture tells us. But do you know what Jesus, his reaction to them is? Jesus says, verse 24 of chapter 2 says, but Jesus did not commit himself unto them. Literally, he did not believe in them. They believed in him, but he did not believe in them. Because he knew them, scripture said. He knew that what they were after was not his words, only his works. It was only about them. In John 8, Jesus is again talking to people who are engaging with him and trying to learn from him and challenging him. And Jesus gives these words to them. If you continue in my, what? Word. Then are you my disciples Indeed, truly. Friend, the disciples who depart at those hard words of Jesus are not truly his disciples. Why? Because Jesus said, if you continue not just in your desire for my works, but if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. Friends, we need to see here the example of Peter. Peter gives us the wonderful contrast for what a true disciple of Jesus Christ is like. Look with me in chapter 6 again, will you? Verse 66 says that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? I just hear the heartbreak in Jesus' voice, do you? Do you, see, do you hear the sadness? Will you go away too? Are you going to be like the other ones who left these pews and have walked away from Christ? Notice what Peter says. Simon Peter so often speaks for the group, right or wrong. He loved to get his opinion out there. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the what? The words. The words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Look at those people who walked away. They liked the works of Jesus, but those words were too hard. What does Peter say? You have the words of eternal life. Why? Because you are the one who was sent from God to tell us 
these words. I just want us to think about that question for just a minute. To whom shall we go? The disciples who departed looked around and said, there's a million different places we could go. We have so many alternatives to help us get what we want. What did Peter say? We have none. There are no alternatives. Who else are we going to go to who has the words of eternal life, who has your words of truth? I want you to give an, I want an example of this. I wonder how, which way we view the words of Jesus. Last night, Jed and I and Tabitha's sister, Naomi's boyfriend, Jordan, who's in town, we went out to get some food. We wanted to get some dinner. And we went to this barbecue place. It's a food truck over northeast. Awesome food. We wanted to introduce it to Jordan. And so we went there and there was a big line. And not only that, we got up to the menu and a bunch of the best stuff was sold out. And we said, are we going to wait here? It's like 50 degrees outside. It's windy. It's cold. Are we going to wait, sit out here and wait for food that they don't even have the best stuff? And guess what we decided? No. The Chinese food we got was amazing. Good call. Good call by us last night. Now, friends, what did we decide? There were a lot of alternatives to barbecue. We didn't need barbecue. We could just go to another restaurant if it didn't have what we liked. A lot of people treat Christianity like that. If they think they can have a good job by being a Christian, they'll be a Christian. If they think that they can have a good life or a good marriage or get good grades, they'll be a Christian. But guess what? Guess what? When it looks like some of the things on the menu are out. Jesus, you mean people aren't going to like me if I'm a Christian? You mean, you mean I'm not going to be popular at my school? You mean I might be persecuted for standing up for the truth of the Bible? There are plenty of other alternatives. There are plenty of other restaurants where I can get my spiritual food. And they leave. But you know, friends, back in 2010, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. A big one. Right back here, you can still see the scar from my surgery. I went to the Mayo Clinic. And through a real blessing, a providence of God, I was able to get in to see the the head of the neurosurgery department at Mayo Clinic, literally one of the best brain surgeons in the world. And he walked in for that consultation. And it was like when someone walks into a room and they just control the entire room and everyone just immediately is quiet because this person is so good at what they do and they are so confident and so competent, you just say, you just tell me what I need. That was him. He floats into the room. Two residents float in behind him. He sits down and he starts telling me, here's your problem. Here's what I think we should need to do. And let me tell you some of the risks. Your brain tumor is kind of near your brain stem. You might have a stroke in the surgery. That's a, that's a material risk. Here's some other risks. A far more likely risk is that you're going to lose coordination on the left side of your body. I said, man, I play basketball left-handed. That doesn't sound great. I don't, I, I don't like that. He said, you got to know the risks about surgery. That's what he was telling me. Now, what do you think my response was? Oh, there are plenty of other doctors that can talk to me about this. I'm going to go down to the next one. Or maybe I'm going to do some internet research. No, I said, where else am I going to go? You're the best brain surgeon around. You tell me what I need to do and I'll follow it. Do you see the difference? Is your approach to Christianity, where else am I going to go? Who else has the words of eternal life? Who else is sent from God to show me what I need to do in this life and the next? Or are you saying, you know, I'm going to shop around on the menu. 
because I'm ultimately the one who's in charge. Friends, Peter is the voice of faith. Remember we said about these people, they didn't believe Jesus. They followed him. They pursued him. They engaged with him, but they truly didn't believe him. Peter believed him. And the response of faith to Jesus saying, where are you going to go is this. Where else? Where else could we go other than Jesus? No one else has the words of eternal life. Friends, let's close thirdly with a prescription. The possibility is that any of us could depart. The pathology is that we need to watch out for this kind of superficial, surface-level faith that only is in it for what I can get today and right now. The prescription is this. What do you and I do? First, about the disciples around us. Notice what Jesus didn't do. Jesus did not appeal to them superficially. Notice what he did. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the 12, will you also go away? Do you know what happened when people were challenged by the words of Jesus and they said, this is too inflexible. This is too hard. Look what Jesus said in verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. He says, why aren't you following me? Because you're not one of his. Sorry. I simply want to make this point, friends. There are well-meaning churches and well-meaning pastors throughout our country today that see the possibility of superficial disciples walking away and they want to give them superficial food so they don't. They want to change the words of Jesus. They want to minimize. No, these words aren't actually that hard. No, these words are not so as rigorous as you think they are. Or they try to appeal to them in entertainment instead of edification. They say, come and we'll have a great time here. Come and we won't demand too much of you from the Bible. Friends, those people are well-meaning. I really believe they are. But I don't believe they're following the example of Jesus who said, I'm sorry, these are my words. Take them or leave them. You either accept the claims because there's nowhere else to go or you walk away. There's not a place in this economy, in the kingdom of God, for these superficial followers. Don't give superficial words to superficial disciples. Simply stand on the truth and say, these are the only words that have eternal life. Oh, I hope you'll accept them. I hope you'll give your life to them. But I can't make you. It's up to you. Do you know what that suggests what we should do? Jesus said, for the problem of these disciples walking away, he said, only those can come to me if the Father gives it to them. Do you know what that suggests? What our need is, is to pray. To pray. What do you do for that child of yours who you are heartbroken about because they're wandering away from the faith and you can't seem to get into them of the truth of God's word? Pray. Pray. Pray what? That God would open their eyes that God would open their heart, that God would bring them to the knowledge of the truth. Turn over for just one moment to 2 Timothy chapter 2, would you? 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want us to see what Paul tells his protege, his mentee, Timothy, about how to respond in this kind of situation. Verse 24 says this, 
And the servant of the Lord must not strive. He's not an arguer. He's not a fighter. Do you know what? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to argue with you and try to twist your arm here. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. Now listen to this. In meekness, instructing or teaching those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will, what? Give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Friend, what is our prayer? That God gives repentance. That God opens eyes and God opens hearts like I trust he has for you. We don't need to despair when we see disciples departing from these pews, from our Sunday school classes, or even tragically from our homes. It should drive us to our knees to say, God, open their eyes. Open their eyes. Give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. But friends, we need to end here. The last prescription is for all of us. Because what did Jesus say to his disciples when people left? What did he say to them? Will you go too? Are you going to go too? My challenge for all of us this morning is to examine our relationship with Jesus. I want to ask you, you teenagers who came here on the bus this morning, why are you here today? Why did you come? Why did we come as adults? Why did we get in the car and come to church this morning? Did we come because Jesus has the words of eternal life and we can't imagine going anywhere else? Or did we come for other reasons, superficial reasons, skin deep reasons? We should ask ourselves. Because the answer to that question may very well lead to whether one day we're going to walk away from Jesus and go our own way. Or whether we're going to say with Peter, where else are we going to go? You're the only one with the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Friends, do you know one way you can answer that question for yourself? Is what you and I are doing with the words of Jesus right now every day. Are you reading his words? Are you thinking about his words? Are you meditating on them? Are you allowing them to change your life and affect the way you live day after day? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? It means to continue in his word. To take these words of life that so many in our culture today said, those are too hard. I can't obey those. I can't believe those. And for Christians, they say, these are the only words of eternal life and I will give my life to them, no matter the cost. Friends, we should be sobered today by the thought that many children, teenagers, young adults, and adults have sat in these pews where you're sitting today and they no longer are walking with Jesus. They have departed. We should hear Jesus saying to us this morning, will you go too? Are you going to leave? Are you going to walk away? And we should remember fundamentally what separates those who will depart from those who will stay is the undeniable conviction, the belief that Jesus is the only one with the words of eternal life. If I don't get them from him, I'm not going to get them from anyone. Friends, when disciples depart, they will depart. But I pray that God has given you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that you will stake your life, your behavior, your future on the words 
of eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the one with the words of eternal life, that Jesus, you sent your Son to, as the Son of the living God to give us the only words of eternal life. Father, there may be some here today who have never accepted those words of Jesus. They are not Christians. They are not followers of Jesus. Father, may you give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth today. May you open their eyes and their heart that they may accept the truth of the words of eternal life and give themselves. Give themselves wholly to Jesus. Father, there may be some here today that are superficial disciples. They grew up in a Christian home. They've been riding the bus perhaps for many years. But Father, you look ahead and see that they're going to walk away. They're going to depart unless they know the real Jesus. I pray for them, Father. I pray that you, would, that you would open their eyes to turn away from superficial things and give themselves to the one who has the words of eternal life. And I pray for those of us, Father, who have accepted those words of eternal life for ourselves. May we live it. May we give ourselves to those words. May we see that truly there are no alternatives. Let's pause for a moment with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. How is the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning? I want to ask, as our heads remain bowed and our eyes closed, if there's someone here today who says, I, I don't know that I've ever accepted the words of eternal life. I don't know that I'm a Christian this morning. I don't know that I'm a disciple of Jesus, but I want to know. I believe that Jesus has the only words of eternal life. If that's you, you can slip your hand up. And I would love to talk with you or have someone else talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus with all of your life. Is there anyone this morning say, I would like to know. Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Father, may that be true in each of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.